Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with producer-engineer Mark Phillips at Airwave Studio in Birmingham, Alabama. We're really glad you've tuned in today because we all know it's a special week for Tide people, especially the crimson-clad caravan that's headed for the hoedown in the hills. If you know the least little bit about Alabama football, you know that it's when the leaves are changing colors that a team's true colors tend to come to light in the fight between the top two traditions in Southern football history. There have been a few times in recent years when the game was played on a different date, but when the schedule makers haven't been sipping the shine, the third Saturday in October is when this annual mid-season mile marker for both teams traditionally takes place. This year's showdown's in the Smokies, so like they used to say in that beer commercial, it's time to head for the mountains. This is the week in every season where even though the temperatures are dropping, the teams are turning up the heat. And there is that one little hot spot up on old Rocky Top, but it's not because of the fire burning under that bucket of sour mash. It's a red laser dot. And by the time Tennessee realizes those traffic cone colored jerseys made an easy target, these strangers will have not only climbed old Rocky Top, but they'll come back down again. Reckon they always will. And my guess is the only thing Tennessee's gonna be volunteering for by late Saturday night will be physical therapy and rehab. The two teams have played 92 times starting in 1901 with a 6-6 time Birmingham, and Bama leads the all-time series 47-38-7. The games have been played in three different cities, and Bama has a winning record at all three sites with a 21-14-6 lead in Birmingham, a 5-4 mark in Tuscaloosa, and a 22-21 record in Knoxville. It's been a streaky series over the years with Bama winning six of the last seven, and Bama has the longest win streak ever in the series, an 11-year run that Tennessee ended in 1982, after which they tore down their own goalposts. Now, I've never seen an Alabama crowd tear down goalposts, mainly because winning big games doesn't come as a big surprise to Bama people, but then nobody's ever beaten us 11 years in a row either. Reckon they never will. But we all know it's always been an intense rivalry. Coach Bryant played in a game against Tennessee in the early 30s with a broken bone in his leg. And General Nalen, Tennessee's greatest coach, once said that you never knew what kind of football player you were until you played Alabama. From a historical perspective, it's by far the most prestigious all-time rivalry in the South, combining the two teams with the most storied traditions. And there have been many times over those 92 years that the outcome of the game played a big part in deciding conference and national championships. Singing Rammer Jammer on Rocky Top always sounds sweet as soda pop. So here's hoping we can waltz our way out of there with a road win and they can head back to the hills on that Tennessee walking horse they rode in on. Uh, Before we talk some more about the kinfolks in the coonskin caps, we want to remind you that you can access the show in the podcast section of iTunes, and we're on Stitcher now. We're on the web at bigbrainsmedia.com, and you can follow us on Twitter now at Bama Talk Show. Also, we want to mention that the first annual Vision Security Technologies Celebrity Golf Invitational will be held at Robert Trent Jones Trail at Oxmoor Valley in Birmingham on October 26th. For more information, contact Barbara at castilefoundation.org or 251 Folks, our guest today doesn't need much of an introduction to Bama fans, but I'm going to give him one anyway because he's earned it and he deserves it. What a lot of people don't know is that he was a running back in high school and ran for 1,700 yards as a senior before Clem Griska signed him to play for the Tide. He played on Alabama teams that won three SEC championships, two consecutive national championships, and was a key player 
on the undefeated 66 team that should have been awarded its third in a row. He played in two Orange Bowls. One Sugar Bowl was named to the All-SEC team his senior year. As an offensive tackle, he caught nine passes over two seasons, and the success Bama had with that tackle-eligible play agitated Ole Miss coach Johnny Vaught so bad he had the play outlawed. He spent 24 years as the sideline reporter for the Bama radio broadcast team and was inducted into the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame in 1997. But, you know, I think the thing that really tells the tale about this guy is the fact that the annual spring game I Like to Practice Award is named after him. We're talking about the pride of Sparta, North Carolina, Jerry Duncan. Jerry, it's great that you can come by and hang a minute. How are you doing these days? I'm doing great, Steve. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. Uh, Glad to be here and so we can talk a little bit about Alabama football. Well, I'm telling you what, it's Tennessee week, and I cannot think of anybody better to have in the house than you. I mean, you're, you're just so closely associated with everything that's been going on at Alabama for the last three or four or five decades. I'm just, it's just a thrill for me. You know, that era you played in was such a great one. You came as close to a three-peat as any college team really ever has. Uh, the 64 and 65 team won national championships, and I've always thought the 66 team might have been better than both of them. You know, there was even a book written about that season called The Missing Ring. Did you guys ever wish that you could have settled it on the field? Well, it was really sad because uh, that, you're right, the 66 team uh, – of those three years, 64-5, uh, the 66 team was the best team. Uh, now, uh, we had, uh, you know, Snake was the quarterback, and uh, we had uh, Ray Perkins at, at, the, at the wide receiver, and then uh, Dennis Holman was the, was the uh, split back on the other side. And uh, so those were, our, those were the athletes on the team. The rest of them, the rest of us were just kind of uh, converted uh, fullbacks and halfbacks that Coach Bryant made guards and tackles out of. And uh, – but the sad thing about it was uh, Notre Dame uh, and Michigan actually played as Michigan State. They um, played for the tie, and, and actually Notre Dame had gotten – we listened to the game, uh, and uh, Notre Dame got the ball back uh, with about two and a half minutes to go in the game and didn't, didn't try to, to win. They just played for the tie. And, and at that time, Notre Dame didn't go to a bowl. So now, and so that ended that we ended up uh, they ended up winning an extra championship with a nine oh one record and 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 didn't have to play us, which was, you know, of course we went on to the Sugar Bowl and, and played uh, a very good Nebraska team. They weren't as good as the the team we beat in, beat in the Orange Bowl the year before, but it was a very good Nebraska team. And, and you know, if you look at that that team, Steve, we did, I think we gave up uh, thirty seven points in, in eleven year. In, in eleven games. So yeah, we had a great defensive unit and and. And with, like I said, with uh, with Stabler and Perkins and Holman and that group on offense, we could we could pretty much score when we, when we wanted to. I remember a game in Tuscaloosa. I had been selling cokes. I was in the north end zone. It was late in the game. Uh, you guys were on about the one yard line. I was standing on the fence right behind the goal post. And I noticed when you guys came out of that huddle, walked up the line of scrimmage. Every guy on the interior line had a big grin on his face, and I just I'll just never forget that. They got down in the stance. Uh, I believe it was uh, it was Stabler calling signals. The ball was snapped, and it was just it actually startled me. You guys were so quick and came off the ball so hard, so fast together. You know, the guy was in the end, uh, yard deep in the end zone before he could blink your eyes. It was just amazing how quick the game was, how quick you guys were at the point of attack. Well, it, it was so great. Uh, on, on one thing about those teams that we had so much confidence. I mean, I I can remember. You know, when you'd come out of the out of the uh, dressing room there and, and going out on the field, 
particularly in Tuscaloosa, uh, you look down, you know, come through, you're, and you're going back and forth, uh, warming up, and you look down at the other end of the field, and the other team is doing the same thing, and yet you know that sometime in the next hour, you're going to beat them. That team's going to be beat. And I think they were looking, a lot of them were looking up that way, thinking the same thing. You know, we're, we're playing Alabama today, and it's and we're playing on their turf, and it's going to be tough. And, Let's uh, hope we can keep it close. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, Jerry, you came out of high school as a running back. And, of course, back then, Coach Bryant would sign 20 or 25 or 30 a year because they were the best athletes on the teams generally. How did you wind up on the offensive line? Well, that's all. That's kind of, I'll try to make a, a long story short. I just, uh, you know, I was redshirted in 63. I got there in, in 62. And, and really, uh, I was, I weighed 165 pounds when I was signed. And, uh, and I, I started gaining a little weight. I got up, I think I got up to 185, 187 pounds. And, uh, you know we had we had great halfbacks and great fullbacks. So you know Coach Bryant moved me around. He moved me to fullback, and then he moved me to blocking back. And then he told me one day he said, "I'm gonna move you over to the defensive side of the ball." So I went over and played a little bit of rover. And then uh, you know I didn't wasn't very successful there. So uh, they moved me to the secondary, and I wasn't very successful there. And finally one day I'm going out on the practice field and. I run by, um, you didn't get very close to Coach Bryant. You just tried to run around him. But anyway, he saw me and he said, Duncan, come over here. He said, um, I'm, uh, I'm going to move you to tackle. He said, I need some help at tackle. And he said, I want to tell you something, Duncan. Uh, if the next time I move you, it'll be back to North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm glad I stuck at tackle, uh, but, but, it, but it worked out. And uh, actually, I was – third string tackle uh leaving uh the spring of 65 and when we got back to start our preseason tr- uh, drills the first day we had to run a mile in, a, in an allotted amount of time and the first string tackle didn't make the mile and coach bryant wouldn't issue you a uniform if you didn't make the mile so the guy quit so then the the, the first day we go out in pads the the guy that moved from second to first went down with a season-ending knee injury. So all of a sudden, here's old Duncan as the first-string tackle. And lo and behold, we go to, to Georgia. First game first of the year. First game of the year. and First time I've started, my junior year. First, I'm so excited. And we get beat by Georgia, 18-17. And I thought the whole world was going to end when we got back to Tuscaloosa because uh, we, we literally gave the game away on a – they flea flicker. They beat us on a flea flicker, and of course the guys and he was on the ground. But that's all history, and it uh, it, it it worked out to be a, a great year. Uh, but we we really uh, we really had to work hard that year because we weren't we weren't as good as we thought we were. And uh, and Coach Bryant recognized that real quick after the Georgia game, and and we really uh, he really put put us through some uh, some tough stuff. Um, but anyway, as we all know, it worked out, and we went on to win a national championship. Yeah, and speaking of that Georgia game that day, there were pictures of that guy with his knee on the ground in possession of the ball. If instant replay and, uh, and the review had been in place, we'd have won that I game. No question about it. And that, actually, they've got it in the press box at uh, in Athens at the at the at the stadium there. They've got the, they've got a big picture of it in the press box, and it just and it shows the guy's his knees are on the ground. Yeah. But anyway, it was a. You know, it, I guess you could call it a, uh, a wake-up call. It sure was. Hey, you started out wearing number sixty-two. Not people, not many people remember that. You wound up wearing number seventy-seven. I, kn- I remember back then, Steve Bowman from Pascagoula, Mississippi, started out wearing number twenty-five and got switched to thirty. 
Yeah. What was going on with the number switch? Well, you know, I, I really don't know. I think what happened, I wore 62 um, my sophomore and junior year, and I believe what happened was is that the conference came out with something that stated that the tackles needed to be uh, in the 70s and the guards in the 60s and so on. So all I know was one day Coach Bryant walked by and, uh, uh, right before a game threw 77 in my lap, and he said, you're wearing this this year. So – I didn't so ask, that's what I you wore I didn't that ask year. any questions. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, it's Tennessee week, you know, and it doesn't matter if they're up or down, whether they're having a good season or not. It's Tennessee. I know Coach Bryant used to have the scout team wear Tennessee stuff that week at practice, and if memory serves, he usually put Ken Donahue in charge of that game. That's the way he used to do that. He'd put a specific coach in charge of a specific game because – and uh, Ken Donahue, of course, was a Tennessee grad. Tell us, what was it like back then getting ready for Tennessee? Well, let me tell you, uh, when I was there, uh, the Howard Schnellenberger uh, was the uh, offensive line coach. He was my coach. He's actually the guy that was responsible for making me a tackle. He, he worked with me day and night. And uh, and he had the Tennessee game before he left. He left after my junior year to go to uh, the uh, – uh, Los Angeles Rams. Okay, uh, he was hired by George Allen, and uh, the Tennessee week, everything speeded up. Everything, the volume was turned up, and and uh, I was on the scout team. I know all about this. My my uh, my redshirt year, you were the scout team, and you ran the opposing team's plays, and you'd always go out early on Monday, and the coach that was responsible for whoever you were playing that week, then he'd have their plays and you'd have their their numbers on and and but when Tennessee week rolled around Schnellenberger had everybody out on Sunday running the Tennessee plays and and everything just just he knew how important it was to coach Bryant because uh coach Schnellenberger had played for coach Bryant at Kentucky uh he never beat Tennessee uh, even the year that they won the Southeastern Conference Championship at Kentucky they tied uh, Tennessee three to three, so the coach Bryant was just—I won't say he was paranoid about Tennessee, but he—it was a game that he just really wanted to win. He really wanted to execute, and I guess that's because of you know going back to to Kentucky and uh, and what happened when he was there. Um, and then, of course, he went on to, from there to Texas A&M. Well, you know, and I think that intensity spilled over into the fan base and the whole university community over the years because, you know, I, I don't care if Tennessee hadn't won a game. When we go into this week of the year, uh, it's special. You know, the 66 game in Knoxville's one I'll never forget. It was raining cats and dogs. They jumped out to a 10 to nothing lead. We came back and won it 11 to 10. They missed a chip shot field goal late in the game that was wide to one side or the other. I can't remember. Coach Bryant said if he'd kicked it straight, we'd have blocked it. <laughs> well, <laughs> we probably, we probably, I remember that one vividly because that, that was my senior year, and uh, you're right. It, uh, we got into Knoxville on, on Friday, and it, it started raining, and I think it rained. It was raining when we left, but it was, a, it was an absolute great game, and it was – uh, you, you just don't forget things like that because of the, you know, being behind 10 to nothing on the road in Knoxville, uh, at the, at playing at Tennessee. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's kind of scary. And, and it, not only that going into the dressing room behind 10 to nothing, you really didn't know what coach Brown was going to do. You didn't know whether he was going to be ranting and raving and cussing a little bit, or he was going, but anyway, he comes in that day and he says, guys, Listen, we got them right where we want them. He said, "I if I couldn't have planned it any better." He said, "We're going to we're going to do this. We made a few changes, made a few adjustments. We're going to go back out and we're going to win the football game." 
and and good gracious, that's exactly what happened. Uh, uh, Wayne Cook made some great plays. Oh, Wayne, tight end. Yeah, he he's, he caught the two point conversion. Yeah. Uh, after after we scored the, the, the touchdown, and then uh, got a field goal. And Stabler did a great job because we didn't throw a lot back then, but he did a great job with a soaking wet ball getting us down oh, the field. Absolutely, it was it was it was quite a game. And and it, it go back to Tennessee, you know, going back if you go back to the '65 game, so yeah, we we had lost to Georgia, and then you know we we got a little bit better. We were behind ten to nothing at the half against Ole Miss. Ended up come, coming back and winning that game 17-16, I believe, and then. Uh, we get Tennessee and Birmingham, and end up the game ends up in a tie, seven to seven. And Stabler had thrown the ball out of bounds by mistake, thinking it was third down to stop the clock. That's late right, in the game. late in the game. Anyway, but but I mean, we fumbled. We played so good, we fumbled the ball two or three times inside the ten, and uh, so we, we just it's just one of those games. It was just a, it was just an absolute terrible day. Uh, and I remember that's the that's the game that uh, the trainer was late getting to the uh back to the dressing room door to open the to open the door for us to to come in after the game and that was the game that uh, coach bryant got to the got there the the door was still locked it was back then it had oh a boy of, and he just Uh-oh. he just knocked the door down i would just put his shoulder to it and knock the door i saw him do it so uh uh and he came in and he said look he said if i had sent you guys up here today and, and, and if I'd have kept the coaching staff, and, and I, if I had stayed in Tuscaloosa, y'all would have gone out there and won. He said our our bench was disorganized. He said, "Look, we're we're gonna we're gonna learn from this, and we're gonna gonna go on." And and from that time on, we rolled. And I, I mean, tell you we, what, that that whipping we put on Nebraska in the Orange Bowl at the end of that year, that thirty nine to twenty eight, and they were huge. Oh, uh, that was that was the greatest game I've ever played in. Uh, that we were, I think we were a, I don't know, fourteen, fifteen point underdog, and. Uh, and of course, going in, see, we were ranked fourth, and uh, Nebraska was third. And then we had the night game, and one and two teams get beat. So it it, it was one of the great it, days it, in college football. It was, and it wasn't like the BCS where you know everything, but but it was announced, you know, basically right, right to the game that, that this game is for the national championship. It basically amounted to a playoff that day. The yep. way things played out, absolutely, uh, yeah, oh, it was incredible. You know, you guys worked. So hard. There was no 20-hour rule limiting practice time back then. When Coach Bryant inaugurated the Spring Game Awards back in the 60s, it had to have been incredibly gratifying when he announced that one of them would be the Jerry Duncan I Like to Practice Award. And i got to tell you, Jerry, it means a lot to me uh, just to get to sit and talk to, to somebody that loved wearing that jersey that much. I guess your last game as a player would have been the Sugar Bowl against Nebraska in old Tulane Stadium, which was an absolute beatdown, like we mentioned a minute ago. After all that hard work, all that success, all those wins, all those awards, all those championships, <laughs> it must have felt awful strange to take that jersey off for the last time. Well, I, I remember it just like it was yesterday. You know, it's uh, we were we were so good as a as a unit. Uh, the teams that we had in those three years, of course, you couldn't play as a freshman, uh, but I think we were um, thirty two and one uh that's exactly right over those three years and and you know to 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 end it with a great victory over nebraska it was a let let me just say that it was just an honor and a a privilege to uh put the red shirt on and and represent the university of alabama and uh and all the great guys that i had the opportunity to play with uh it's just um i mean we still have reunions and get together i see a lot of them at least uh, twice a year uh, and it's just uh, it was a thrill and uh, 
and uh, all the things. Uh, there's not many days go by that I don't think about Coach Bryan in, in some aspect because it's not so much what he did for me when I was playing football. It's what he did for me after football. You know, I could got stories where, you know, you – you need help or you need to talk to somebody and and he, every time i call he's come on down let's let's talk how can i help you uh so you know it's just things like that you you know what can you say well you know you get to play with a hall of fame coach and you got to play with some great quarterbacks namath sloan stabler those guys were stars but you got to know them as friends and teammates like you're talking about tell us about hanging around with these kind of guys oh they were they were all just you know of course joe was uh you know joe was kind of a free spirit but i still <laughs> i see him and uh he's he's such a he's such a good guy and, and of course i still talk to steve sloan almost on a weekly basis he's retired now living down in orlando and uh and we chat quite quite frequently uh kenny was you really like to hang out with the quarterbacks because all the girls like the quarterbacks so you know if you if you're around the quarterbacks uh there was always always some good looking okay, women Matt, now we're getting somewhere <laughs> okay right. here we go but uh but the other thing is uh, uh steve was really all the great assistant coaches that that i got to, to be with and and work with i mean i was there when coach bryant hired pat die he hired pat my sophomore year 1964 and um and then of course you know coach schnellenberger and, and coach griska who ken meyer ken meyer i mean just just you could go on dude hennessy uh just ken donahue i mean they, these the people could coach now and, and like you said a minute ago about the the 20 hour practice room oh good we, we, we practiced 20 hours first three days of the week <laughs> <laughs> back then i mean it was just a you know you, I think Coach Bryant made us. We were in either in meetings or on the practice field. I, I really think he did that a lot of times just to keep you just to keep you off the street. You know, I, I know where they are if they're in a meeting, or I know where they are if they're on the practice field. So he didn't have to worry about anybody going out and getting in trouble. Oh, that's that's great. The uh, you know, between playing on all those great teams and playing for Coach Bryant, working with a broadcast crew as the sideline reporter for twenty four years. You've played a huge part in this thing. You got to work with John Forney, who I miss to this day. Oh, Lord, what a guy. Doug Layton, Paul Kennedy, Eli Gold, not to mention Tom Roberts and our behind-the-scenes buddy, Tom Stike. <laughs> Tom and I went to school together, played a little music. What are the, some of the highlights over the years, the, the things that stick out in your mind about working with those guys on the on the broadcast? Well, I guess the best thing would have been uh, traveling with John and Doug. We always uh, – uh, we'd go to when we played LSU in Baton Rouge. We'd we'd uh, go to New Orleans on Friday, and we'd stay in New Orleans uh, Friday night and and drive up to Baton Rouge for the game on Saturday. I remember a couple of years after we did that, uh, John called me. He said, "Let's uh, let's change the plans this time. Let's go down on Thursday." And uh, so we go to go to New Orleans on Thursday. Then Thursday and Friday night in in uh, New Orleans, and come back to New Orleans after the game. So then three or four years later, John said, uh, let's go down to New Orleans on Wednesday. <laughs> so, so I guess if, if John had stayed around long enough, we'd have, we'd have probably gone to New Orleans on Monday for the game on Saturday. But uh, but it was just a treat. And then, of course, uh, you know, Paul Kennedy, he, he's, he's really great, great announcer. And uh, and I, matter of fact, I still talk to Paul. He's, uh, he's working in Orlando. He does a lot of uh, – uh, he does the Orlando Magic yeah. uh, ba- basketball. And uh, – 
and he does also does uh, some some work with a, a hockey team down there, I believe. But anyway, and then of course Eli, he's the he's the consummate, he's the pro, and uh, I just uh, love him to death. And and of course they, they, we couldn't get anything done if it wasn't for Tom Stipe, you know, the engineer. And he's been there forever. I know it. I know he's it. He's twisting yeah. those knobs, engineer <laughs> producer Tom Stipe. Tom, and and of course Tom Roberts. Uh, I told him when I when I told him I was going to leave, they wanted to know why in the world you quit. I had I've still got people that call me up and say, you know, you you you're crazy. You you had the best uh, part time job of anybody in the world, and you, and you you gave it up. But I told him I said, look, uh, these guys are getting so they're so tall I can't see over them, and they're so wide I can't see around them. You're gonna have to get a bigger guy on the sidelines because now they're just so big. Hey, I got to ask you a couple of things. I can't remember the game or when it occurred, but you were describing some of the players on an opposing team one time, and in the middle of all that, you said. Well, I don't know about this bunch, but they're big as skin mules. Where in the world did that come I from? I think I really believe that came from Coach Bryant, because uh, Coach Bryant had, had said something about some skin mules, you know, being from Arkansas and uh, these big old strong uh, mules that he had. And uh, I think I just picked that up from Coach Bryant. But it, I don't know. I said some things I probably like to have back, but uh, <laughs> but it was a it was just a great uh, a great time and and. That was one of those lines that I've never forgotten. It was so funny, and it still tickles me to death. Uh, again, there was a Tennessee game in Knoxville with Forney and Layton in the booth. One of them was describing the pregame scene, you know, the weather, the teams, the bands. He mentioned the Tennessee walking horse they used to have at the games. And then one of the guys said, and there's Smokey the Blue Tick Hound. If I had a rifle, I'd drop him where he stands. <laughs> I'm going to give Doug credit for that. I, That's what I thought. Doug, Doug said if I had my 30 out 6 I could drop him from up here in the, in the booth. But, you know, Steve, talking about Alabama and and the, and the great times, but having that run in there in the seventies after Coach Bryant had gone six and five and sixty nine and seventy, and you know, you know, we had people say, "Well, you know, he's he's getting too old to coach; he needs to step aside." And then we make that run in the seventies and wins over a hundred games and uh, played Penn State on a home and home basis. Uh, that was, it was great, and, and uh, the the atmosphere at uh, at Happy Valley going up there those. They had the best fans in the in the world up there, and I, I really enjoyed going making that trip. Uh, every, of course, of course, the last few years it was with with Ray, Ray Perkins. Yep. But uh, and that's another thing, you know. After after Coach Bryant resigned and and or retired, Ray Perkins came along. I was thinking about kind of hanging it up when Coach Bryant hung it up, but then then when they hired Ray, you know, of course Ray and I had played together and kept on. That was another another four years that. Um, but it was it. Uh, it was just a great thrill to have been on the sidelines with all those great players and great teams. And uh, uh, I see uh, I was watching something the other night, and they were talking about, you know, Cornelius Bennett and, and what a great player he was. And I, I got to see, you know, him when he was in, at his best uh, at Alabama. And, of course, he had a great pro career. One of the calls you made, and you know, it's just a short little blurb. That '89 game, desperation block at Penn State, when Thomas Ray unblocked that last-minute field goal, and they had gone all the way down the field, and they, we blocked that kick. and And I can still hear you you screaming that we blocked it. They blocked it yeah. and blocked. And and I, the great thing about it, I could I I was feeling the same intensity from you. I was feeling sitting on my couch watching it in Tuscaloosa. You know, and it was, I, I just enjoyed it. It was, it was like having somebody there that was, wasn't worried about being 
uh, the broadcaster of the year. It was somebody that wanted Alabama to win the game. Oh, my goodness. I, I gotten, yeah, I, I stepped all over Eli on that one. Uh, I'd, I'd come up to the booth cause Doug had gone to the, uh, down to the dressing room to, to do the interviews. And, uh, I just lost it. I, I think I'd said, you know, this is if we've ever blocked one, now's the time to block yeah, one. And, yeah. uh, and uh, all of a sudden, I, you saw that big hand come up and, and, and get the ball. And, and, and of course, that, uh, that won the game for us. That was, a, that was a huge victory. Well, Jerry, we're at the half point, halfway point now in the regular season schedule. Give me your take on this team this year and how you think we stack up against the people we got to play to get to where we want to go. And by that, I mean winding up in Miami. I don't know. I, di- I just – we have lost a lot of good players. I think we've lost five kids now uh, to injury that are out for the year. And uh, I, I think that they've done a really good job, but I don't know. You know, I just I think the level of competition, I think going to, to Missouri and then the, the next trip to, to will be Tennessee. And then we've got uh, uh, Mississippi State, uh, who, who is now at that point is undefeated. Of course, we we got them in Tuscaloosa. I, I think it's going to be tough in here. I think A and M's going to be a tough. A and M's going to be absolutely tough. And I I I don't know that right now. I don't know if this is is the number one team in the country. Now I know that that's where they're ranked. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, we've we've certainly got opportunities. I mean, and we've got some we've got some great players. I I think uh, I think having AJ McCarron back there with a guy with the experience he's got and with a a, a very experienced offensive line, uh, probably the best offensive line in the country if it gets right down to it. But we've got a lot of – you just got to look at the people we lost. I mean, what do we have, four number one draft choices? I mean, you just can't replace those people. You can, you can replace them, but you're replacing them with freshmen and sophomores, and it doesn't mean that they're not good, but but they're they're most likely not number one draft choices right now. Yeah, I've often thought Coach Saban's system, with it being so complex relative to other systems, that you know it's kind of like for these kids playing, going from high school ball to college ball, it's kind of like going from playing checkers to playing chess, and it takes a while to learn that game. You know, as a former player, Jerry, what are the things about Coach Saban and his staff that impress you the most? Well, I, I think work ethic is is the number one thing. I mean, they they just I think they work twenty four hours a day and. Uh, they 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 make these guys. They try to get them to do the right thing, not just on the football field, but off the football field. They try to make them do well in the classroom. And they do. Uh, and they do. And you know that's that's part of it. That's that's a. You know, I mean, I, I'm really I'm just really impressed with the coach Slavin and, and the way he he goes about it. It's a business, and he, and he operates it like a business. I mean, that's you know, and if you make a mistake, then you got to suffer the consequences. You know, Jerry, you've been through the recruiting process and seen it evolve over the years. It's huge now. We all know that. If you were talking to a high school prospect right now and you knew that kid had what it takes to play at Alabama, what would be the kind of things you'd say to him? I'd say, how could you go anywhere else is what I would say. I mean, if you look at if you look at what Coach Saban has done since he's been there and with all – particularly if you have aspirations of going to the next level, if you think you can get yep. to the pros – I can't imagine a kid that has aspirations of, of, of getting to the National Football League or wherever else, Canadian football, whatever it is, that, uh, that if you're going to go to the next level and you don't consider Alabama strongly, I think you're, you're making a mistake. You need to check up from the neck up. <laughs> because, I mean, you can, all you got to do is look, look at the people that, that Coach Saban has sent 
not just when he was at Alabama, when he was at LSU and, and everywhere else he's been. So and the respect he has amongst uh, NFL coaches. Well, absolutely. It's it's a it's a to me it's just a uh, and I would I would encourage. Of course, I mean I I, I couldn't say you shouldn't go somewhere else, but uh, I'd think it, I would. Uh, <laughs> but I I think uh, they do a great job down there, both uh, both on the football field and in academics, and uh, and that's what it's all about. Well, Jerry, we're about to have to line up in victory formation and take a knee here, but I cannot tell you how much fun I have, and I hadn't gotten halfway through all the things I'd love to talk about with you. Would you come back and visit with us again sometime? Uh, anytime, Steve. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you? Well, you know, I'm in the in the brokerage business. I'm uh, with UBS Financial Services here in Birmingham, and, uh, you know, my 977-7052 is my telephone number, so give me a call. Hey, before we toss the ball back to the ref, I want to thank Dr. James Sanderson for his help with making this thing happen. On top of running a top-shelf dental practice in Hoover and his involvement with the A-Club, he's been a huge help to us here at Bama Talk Show, and we appreciate it. The Alabama National Champion softball team will be hosting their annual fall brawl at Rhodes Stadium in Tuscaloosa this weekend with doubleheaders on Saturday and Sunday. Admission's only 5 bucks, and the first pitch is at noon both days. Just a few travel tips. For all you Tide people making the trip to East Tennessee, avoid telling family reunion jokes to the locals. Not a good idea in Knoxville. You just make a lot of people mad. Along those same lines, they don't like it when you refer to their band as cousins by the dozens. <laughs> and forget about trying to sneak that pellet gun into the game so you can pop that hound dog mascot. Even though it sheds and smells bad, we do not condone cruelty to animals. Even that one. Besides, if you get kicked out of the stadium, you miss Rammer Jammer. Don't forget to visit our Bama Talk Facebook page. Feel free to forward our web address to your friends, which is bigbrainsmedia.com, and we're on Twitter at Bama Talk Show. Well, it's about time to head to the locker room, but before we run off the field, we want to thank you for listening. We sure had a good time, and we hope you did too. We'll be posting a new show every week, but we want to encourage you to check them all out when you can. Until next time, tell your friends about us. Take care. Have a blessed day, and roll tide.